Welcome into another episode of ESPN's NBL podcast. My name's Kane Pittman, and alongside me, as he is every Tuesday, my esteemed colleague, Olgan Ulrich. But before we bring in Olgs, he, he gave a little sheepish hello there. But we've got big news today. First time a guest in the studio from the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix. Big source, Alan Williams. Oh, my clapping. <laughs> Sorry. You clapped too. Oh, clap. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, we were chatting just before we went live about you existing here, your coffee habits, your food habits, and things like that. Um, <laughs> I'm still upset with you, but can you talk us through your game day coffee habit, which I disagree with? Yeah. Um, this is probably going to hurt a lot of Australians out there. Please don't think anything different of me. It's a superstitious thing, but I, I'm a big Starbucks fan, mm. and I... We'll go to Starbucks every game day if there is one in proximity, uh, close proximity to me. Um, I have one down the street from the apartment here in Melbourne. And uh, before I head over to John Kane Arena and get buckets with my squad, uh, I got to stop and get a quadruple shot Excuse vanilla me? latte with oat milk from Starbucks. One pump of vanilla because anything more than that is way too sweet. Has to be oat milk because of my lactose intolerance. Um, and four shots because I need all the juice. Four shots is... Four shots. A, I, if massive. I have two coffees in a day, I'm like delirious. Yeah. I don't know how you do four shots of coffee in one. If you've seen me out there, I, the, the energy it is, is there. True. and it's A lot of it is natural, but I think I small think that there's a, a small piece that's, that's, that's Starbucks related. So I did a very quick Google search this morning, which uh, I came up empty with, and I might be the only man in this room we got quite a crowd in here, by the way. I'm the only man in this room potentially that doesn't know the answer to this. What's the origin of Big Sauce? Ah, Big Sauce. It's I didn't spill sauce on myself. That's that's first and <laughs> foremost. That didn't happen. Uh, my brother actually gave me the nickname, Younger Brother Cody. Shout out. Um, he is a firefighter in Phoenix, Arizona now. But on the side, he does like cartoon drawings and stuff like that. And so we were on a road trip in college. I think I was about 22, 21. And he did a skit, made some names. Mine was Big Sauce, Sauce synonym for swag, style, um, that kind of thing. And it stuck. I threw it on my Twitter handle one day. We played UNLV the first game of the season the following year. I killed it. <laughs> the writer in the paper in Las Vegas saw the Twitter handle and called me Big Sauce, and it kind of stuck and run from there, ran from there. And so I've been holding on to it ever since. Thanks, Cody. So your brother is a firefighter. Yeah. I know your mother, she's still the chief of police in Phoenix? Chief of police just retired. Okay. 20, 31 years, something like that. Wow. Can you talk us through what it was like being raised in that sort of family? Because having a police officer as a parent mm -hmm. would be interesting in any case. Mm -hmm. But having the chief of police as <laughs> your mother, yeah. what was that like? A lot of fun, you know? <laughs> like, I, I, it, it sounds like a lot of pressure. My dad is also a judge. Um, so yeah, very strict parents, um, but great role models to look up to, you know, they worked their whole lives to get to the points to where my brother and I could live comfortably. Um, and they just did so many things that just helped me be the person that I am today. Um, like I said, the hard work and always showing up, you know, whether it be, uh, talent competitions, whether it be basketball games, whether it be honor roll something along those lines, they were there. And um, I think that's the biggest thing I got from them was just their reliability on everything. And although it was strict in the household, there was a lot of love and uh, support. And we still love and support each other to this day. So it was great. So I'm pretty sure we'll come back to some 
off-court stuff by the end. We usually do. But the Phoenix 5-3 and three now, and it was an interesting start to the season because I think we were all sitting back. We discussed it on this podcast and we're saying, well, I don't think you can really take a single thing from these games that the Phoenix are playing right now because nobody nobody's playing. They've got the four starters that are out of the lineup. You were banged up through the start of the season. So the last few weeks, how do you think it's progressed? You've won some close games, which, has, which hasn't been a hallmark for this team. But getting some guys back, uh, how has the last few weeks progressed? And, and what is the what is the process for integrating everyone at one time? Yeah, you know, it's it's been a challenge, you know, from preseason not being fully healthy as a team to the start of the season not being fully healthy as a team. Uh, it was just kind of go out there and fight as hard as we possibly could and try to get the best result. Um, and a lot of credit goes to the team as a whole from our young guys that found themselves playing more minutes than they probably were accustomed to or thought they would to our coaching staff scheming and moving and trying to find ways so that we could be successful on the court. Um, it took a lot. Uh, but now that everybody's back and it's, it's starting to click and roll, it's just been a lot of fun. Practices have been super competitive because now you got 10 guys out there who all could play on any NBL team out there, I, I believe, or something along those lines. Um, and we go after it. You know, it's it's it's, it's a battle every day. Um, nothing is given. It's always earned. And so I think that that's kind of the, the mindset and, and where we're going to hang our hat is on on us going out there and earning W's and, and, and earning the respect and just uh, kind of going with the flow. Your, your team is so interesting because you have so many guys who could be closers on a team. Like so many, on on a bunch of other teams, Trey Kell might be the guy, right? Mitch Creek would be the guy. Gary Brown would be the guy. Um, like you could be that on a bunch of teams too. Like is there any juggling of egos or is it, it's, it seems as though like Trey Kell seems like a cool dude. Yeah. And Mitch Creek is a vocal leader. You're a vocal leader. Is there any clash of egos or is it all... Has everyone been able to be put in their place in like a positive way already? Yeah, I don't... I don't necessarily think our roles have been established, but I just think that Simon, Coach Simon Mitchell, has uh, just been doing a good job of just letting us be us, you know? All of us come from different walks of life, come from different basketball experience levels, have different levels of talent. Um, but it just kind of works well because first and foremost, we're really cool together off the court. And so there's never any bickering or talking about behind the back or anything that, like that that goes on. And uh, we're all ball players, so we just kind of let the game come to us. Trey was hot last game, so I was like, all right, bet we're going to run every single action for Trey. If Creaky gets off, we're going to start running every action for them. And it's just we have so many tools and weapons that um, just trying to find who's ever hot at the moment is, is the key for this team because we know that's going to lead to victories. And so we put aside our personal egos. I think everybody still has an idea of what they want to do and what they want to accomplish statistically or wins-wise or whatever it may be. But um end of the day, if we can all come together and, and, and be ourselves, uh, we put ourselves in a really good position to win. So that's something that I noticed. You know, last game was Trey Kill. Game before that was Brockhoff. Game before that might have been Creaky. And then game before that was Gary Brown. Like, everyone's had their moments. Do you... As the game progresses, do you talk about that? Do you say, you know, this guy's feeling it, let's let's feed him, let's create for him? Or is it more like instinctive for you guys? No, absolutely. We're, we're in our huddles trying to be as, as vocal as possible. We believe that communication is the key to us being successful. And so part of that communication comes with sitting down in those huddles during a timeout before the coaches come back and being like, yo, Trey's killing right now. We're looking at this, so now we're going to run this option on this to get in the ball. It's a different look, but it's going to be the same result kind of thing. And so we have those discussions 
and having a team with such high IQ, you know what I mean, guys that have such high, high basketball IQs, just makes it kind of easy to go out there and, and, and make that happen. And so I think that's what you, what everybody's been seeing the last couple of games here is that we've just been able to, to communicate and, and get people in the spots where they can be really, really successful. What about the competition just specifically with the big men? So you start the season, Joe Chi comes in a few weeks later, you got Dane that's there as well, and you're all different. You're, you're I guess what you would say, the, the textbook would say, an undersized five, elite rebounder. Joe Chi's an elite rim protector. Dane Pino's elite defensively in the pick and roll. Like You all have different things, but for you as a competitor, how competitive does it get between you three in particular in terms of your role? And does starting matter? Um, it's competitive because everybody wants to be on the court to attribute right. to a W. You know what I mean? And that's there's no there's no denying that. There's no hiding from that. If you didn't compete for that spot, then why are you doing this? You know what I'm saying? So there's a level of competition that goes within it, but there's also a level of helping whoever is in that spot. So if, if Joe's Joe Chi's in the game right now. Dane and I are back there looking at looks and seeing how he can be more successful on the court. Mm -hmm. Dane's in the game. It's like, hey, Dane, you know what? You're great on that level right there. I'm going to hype you up. Keep going. Keep going. I get back in the game. It's like, go to work, big dog. And so there's that that brotherhood that you have there and and really trusting and understanding that that person out there at that time is a good thing for the team. And so um, I think that's just kind of how we go into it. What was the second part of the question? No, no, you hit it. And then yeah. because the, the big question is, and, and I've asked Simon about this, I said, okay, well, who's going to start in a perfect world? And he said, well, yeah, we would like to get to a point where it's based on matchups, which yeah. is always a unique idea to me because that the fact that a team would change the starting lineup night to night, you, yeah. you don't really see that. I mean, it, it hasn't happened yet. I yeah. think we have a, a really strong starting five at the moment. Mm. Uh, I put it up there with anybody in the league. Um, and so we'll just continue to to see what happens if uh, something changes in within that and somebody else has moved into that lineup uh, i'm 100 percent sure everybody on the side will be really supportive of who's ever in that spot but uh end of the day it's about trying to get the win so just quickly uh, we buried the lead a little bit here how is your body going i know you had s- some knee soreness you, you heard it a few games back are you getting close to to where you want to be physically yeah i feel great you know just these last couple of weeks have been awesome being in the gym more, getting a good lifting regimen. Um, our performance staff with Southeast Melbourne Phoenix is phenomenal. They do an amazing job of making sure that we're ready to go out there every single day. And so uh, just listening to the advice that they have, um, trying my own little tricks here and there, uh, I've been feeling a lot better. And so I'm just excited for this this uh, last two-thirds of the season to come about so I can really wreck some stuff up. I want to talk about your skill set. So when a new import comes in, we as journalists and people who cover the league, we have to do our best to watch vision and see what a guy can do, look at the advanced stats, see how they can contribute, right? With you coming in, we knew, okay, good touch around the rim, can rebound the ball very well. One thing that I didn't know how to analyze coming in was your passing. And that's something that I maybe didn't see enough of, maybe I had to watch full games to get like a better idea of it. But you look like one of the better creators on this team we point to you know gary and trey and creaky as guys who can like create advantages that way but where is that has that always been a part of your game have, have i missed that coming in or is this something you've developed maybe since you've gone overseas and maybe been more of the man on your teams 
Yeah, you know, I'm, I think in college I had a nuance of it. I would get double teamed a lot in the post, so I had to be able to make cross-court passes to shooters uh, who were open or spacing or the cutters, uh, guys cutting off of my, my trap there. Um, didn't really do it a lot in the NBA just because it was a lot of just pick-and-roll action, so I was either finishing the basket. Some or, of the row, right? Yeah, offensive rebounding. When I got to Russia, um, early on, I didn't have the ball in my hand a lot. It was a lot more that pick and roll, ceiling, offensive rebounding. And then my second and third years out in Europe, um, I was just the focal point of the team. And so not only was it about me getting going and, and rolling, it was about finding others based off of like the, the reads that I was getting. And so when I got here uh, with the talent that we have on the team, I just knew that I was going to be able to find my teammates and put them in situations so where I can get easy baskets because I'm very confident in, in that passing game of mine. And so you'll see us run a lot of high split action or an elbow pinch action. And now I'm making a read, whether it's a backdoor cut, whether it's a step back three, whatever it may be. I'm very confident in that role and trying to find my teammates and get them to the right spot. Do you think the team knew about that as soon as you came in? Or do you think maybe they saw you in practices a few times and they thought, huh, like, we got a little Nikola Jokic right here. I would hope I would hope they knew about <laughs> it because I feel like I've I've done it. Like I said, there's film out there of yeah. me doing it. But um, if they were, I'm sure they were pleasantly surprised because um, I have no problem being in that spot to try to set guys up and, and looking for teammates because I'm confident I can I can make that happen. That's. Olgan questioning the ability of Simon and Tommy to watch film, by the way, just, just for everyone that's listening. I trust that they watch all the film that they, they can, but so do we. And I, yeah. I, it's, it's tough to see because sometimes he might not get the assist. He might mm-hmm. get a hockey assist. For sure. So leave me alone. No, no, I won't. Uh, what about your bread and butter rebounding? So we had a decent chat about your ability to rebound back in Darwin. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm bringing this up because I want to plug my own work because I'm dropping a bunch of stuff today uh, from that conversation with you. But just for the for the listeners here, the detail that you go to, and I, I mentioned this to you, so everyone thinks, well, rebound's just effort or it's size or whatever it may be. Um, but the detail you go to in terms of learning about your teammates, learning about the opposition, as you called it, uh, the science of rebounding is fascinating. Yeah, no, it's 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 definitely not just running in there and putting your hands up and hoping the ball falls <laughs> in there. Um, a lot of it is watching my teammates shoot. You know, I just sit there on the sideline and just watch Trey shoot, watch Rowdy shoot, watch guys just shoot, see where the ball's going. Okay, Trey shots a little bit flatter than Rowdy, so Rowdy's just might come off a little bit higher. So if I push the guy underneath the basket there, I have a better opportunity to get it, even if he's seven feet and jumps out the gym. I know that if I get my body into his at the right time. It'll limit his ability to jump and get that. Now I'll be able to catch it. He'll be off balance. One spin move is a layup. One spin move, it's a three-pointer to whoever the shooter is. And so there's a lot that goes into it. Um, I think understanding officiating is a big part of it, too. Uh, here in the NBL, it's officiated differently than, than other places where I've been. So trying to figure that out and get the nuances of that is, is where I'm at right now. Um, but some big big rebounding games are on the way. I can feel it coming. And uh, just it's excited to get out there and, and use the tools that I have. So keeping in mind, we've got Dan Hoy in here from the Phoenix, who's going to look at me when I bring up the officiating. But further to that, I spoke to Simon Mitchell about it, and he said that um, you and Simon have had meetings with the officials. You've gone through film trying to learn about those types of things. What is that process um, for a player in this league? Because historically, there has been a number of imports that have come to the league and, and just have not been able to stay on the floor. Yeah, um, it's it's a give and take situation. You know, it's there's never 
it, it, it's everybody wants to see it as like right and wrong when in reality it's just about building a relationship and understanding and asking questions and so when Simon and I sat there in that meeting with the officiating group uh, it was just about hey you know this is what I typically do this is what I've been able to do in my career does this fly here and if not what are you looking for you know what I mean and so they, they were able to detail and break down and last game I fouled out but um uh other than that, I think I've been a lot better about about being in the right position, especially with this, the way that the game is officiated here. So um, it's a learning process from both sides. There's adjustments that are going to continue to happen throughout the season. And what may have been called last game may not be the same thing called the following game, but it's just about having that level of communication between the officiating players and coaches so that we can all go out there and put the best product forward for uh, the NBL fans. So. so I didn't know the extent to which those meetings happened, especially for this team, which has historically had bigs come in and get in foul trouble. So they were effectively not useless, but they just were not able to be close to as effective as they could be on the mm-hmm. floor. Um, this wasn't a planned question, but we talk about your rebounding and like the effort and the the time and kind of the mind that you put into it. Um, is Dane Pino? Do you think he comes from like a similar kind of group of bigs? Because in my mind, he's like hilariously the best rebounder in the league because yeah. I don't know how his nose is like attached to the ball at all times. Um, have you noticed that? And I don't want to make this just like a Dane Pino like no. praise, but praise podcast, but like Dane Pino is incredible. Dane Pino is incredible. <laughs> just incredible. His defensive prowess <laughs> and like how he <laughs> how he moves and how he reads and how he sees the game is just incredible. You know, it's, I find myself a lot of times in practice I'll make a move, and I'm like, there's no way anybody's going to be there. And Dane is just there. <laughs> Not necessarily to block the shot, but to just disrupt it and just be in the right place at all times. So I just think that he has a really good idea and possibly coming from the same school of thought that I am of just, like, ball wins. You know, if you can find a way to get the ball, get your hand on the ball, get the rebound, whatever it may be, disrupt it, um, it, it, it just holds well for your, for your, for your team um, going the other way. And so – a uh, big shout-out to Dane. He's helped me tremendously with the defensive schemes here in the NBL and how to kind of work it and guys' tendencies and even referees' tendencies at times to, to, to say this to this person or I can't really talk to this person type of thing. So he uh, he's, he's definitely all-knowing for sure. Yeah, he's the kind of guy who can be on for five minutes, but he'll get like seven <laughs> rebounds, yeah. all offensive. He'll make something happen. It's the silliest thing in the world. He'll make something um, happen. We open this by talking about your – Starbucks, mm-hmm. you're very, you're very weird. Starbucks routine, yeah. Um, so. It's a suspicion. It's superstition. You do you. Um, what is, <laughs> what is? Uh, we spoke about your Vegemite. So you you were one of the rare Americans who arrive on our shores and enjoy Vegemite. Yeah. Um, I'm impartial to it. It's whatever. But what is your Vegemite routine? I say routine yeah. like your the way you enjoy eating a Vegemite. So it's usually like the um, the seeded sourdough. I think that's what it's called, like with all the grains, the multi-grain <laughs> sourdough bread. Toast that up, get some butter, put heaps of butter. You see the terminology I use. <laughs> heaps of butter nice. on there and a very small amount of Vegemite. I like to do the corners and then kind of spread it out into the middle so those corner pieces are a little bit saltier than that middle piece. And then I'll put a little bit of strawberry jam on there to get the sweet and salty mixture it's where you um, lose me. It's, uh, Strawberry jam is what you got to try it. I, get, I understand you sweet You can't knock it because I tried Vegemite, okay? I came over here open-minded. We, we thank you for that. And did that. And uh, it's good. I promise. I get sweet and salty as like a flavor profile. Yeah. But I, like I, I 
I don't know if that's like the kind. Actually, you know what? What kind of jam would you use? Like a marmalade? You know what? So, okay. So, he's, so one time there was a Cadbury, which is like a main mm-hmm. chocolate brand, mm-hmm. dropped a chocolate Vegemite like block mm. of chocolate. It was actually very delicious, mm. right? But that's a different kind of sweetness. So you're thinking more like a Nutella could possibly be better. I wouldn't... You I wouldn't w- do Nutella either. Nah, nah. Vegemite is my savory thing. And... That's it. I'll allow it to be that. <laughs> she not is the, who she is. Uh, I'm not a Vegemite guy at all, so I don't really... It's a great conversation though, fellas. But <laughs> you did say in general you're a big foodie though. And I would like to think that you, you can step it up from the level of your uh, routine day-to-day spreads what else have you discovered in melbourne so far this is a city where you can find anything you want um dumplings nice a dump a day uh, <laughs> learned heard that terminology from uh from some of my teammates so it's not related to the starbucks i like the dumplings um man, just there's so many different ethnicities within the CBD of Melbourne. And so just trying all of those different types of food, whether it be Indian food or Thai food or Vietnamese food or a steak, a burger, um, you name it, I'm, I'm down to try it and, I, and, I, and I've and I dabbled into a lot of things here. So I can't necessarily put my thumb on any one thing, but I'm around and, and trying stuff basically every week. So I like that because, and tell me if you agree with me on this, the way we do food in Australia is people from around the world have brought their food here and we've kept it relatively untouched. Yeah. They, they're allowed to cook how they wish. Whereas in America, I've noticed, people will migrate over there and then their food will become Americanized. Yeah. So if you have Italian food here, it feels more Italian. It's why our coffee is better than your coffee. For sure. Um, same with all the Asian foods that come here. Yeah. Have you noticed that too? I have absolutely noticed the, uh, the authenticity of like the, the the flavor is a is, is spot on like even the mexican food that i've had here coming from phoenix arizona which is right next to mexico has probably the best mexican food in the united states i believe um it's it's, it's been pretty similar you know like i said it's been very authentic and there's certain things that i have tried and i haven't liked and um i don't like, eat like those what? anymore like what um let's see i can't really do indian food you know, and it, it just doesn't sit well with me. I don't okay. know if it's the spices involved with it, but I, I've, I've stayed kind of away from that that flavor profile. I tried it. Butter chicken was pretty good, but I just didn't feel good after I ate it. And so Indian food is kind of where I stay away. But I, I believe that it was pretty authentic. You know what I'm saying? Everybody yeah. seemed to tell me that it, it tasted just like Indian food. So, If we pivot to some NBA stuff before we wrap this up. So playing for the Phoenix Suns. I mean, making it to the NBA and having the impact you did, 2016, 17, 47 games, big numbers when you're on the floor. But the idea of having the opportunity to play for the Phoenix Suns, growing up, were you a Phoenix Suns fan? Uh, What was that opportunity like? Yeah, I was a a big-time Phoenix Suns fan growing up. Um, Went to a lot of the games. My dad took my brother and I to as many as we possibly could go to. We're around with the community events. Got Mm -hmm. a chance to meet to a lot of the players couple of them even went to the same barbershop that I went to growing up. Uh, so I was really, really, really uh, big-time Phoenix Suns fan. So when I got the opportunity to go play for them and suit up, it was surreal. You know, it's like what you dream of as a kid. Like, I'm in my backyard, 3-2-1, Allen Williams, Suns win the championship <laughs> kind of thing. And it's like I got to live that out, you know, and, and I got to live it out in front of all of my friends and family who were at every game supporting me. And so 
Um, I probably write a book about it one day, just because it was just it's kind of a really surreal experience. I learned so much. I gained so many new friends and connections from it, and uh, it was definitely one of the better times in my life for sure. Um, you played with Paige Itaka. I did. So I have a Paige Itaka story. Uh, so I used to work with Josh Giddy, and we were looking for shoes in Oklahoma <laughs> City. We f- we found a rich man who somehow had just an insane collection of uh, of Kobe's and PG's and different colorways and like player exclusives. Um, and we couldn't get any size 14 Kobe's because somehow PJ Tucker had made it to Oklahoma City, found this random wealthy man, gone to his house and took all the size 14 Kobe's. Yeah. Do you have any PJ Tucker stories? Because he's, he's an interesting fellow. One of the more interesting fellows mm-hmm. in the NBA. Yeah. Um, first of all, he may go through four pairs of shoes in one game. So like from shoot around to first quarter, I'm not feeling it, next one's out, second quarter, this and that. And he like plans it out too. So he, I don't know if you saw the NBA shoe bags. They're these massive bags with little cubbies in them and guys' shoes going. He travels with his own one or two, depending on the length of the trip. So you have the team one with all the guys' stuff in it, a couple of extras for the, the main sponsored guys, guys are getting more minutes, and then PJ's bags are separate from that and it's just so he can have his heat and rotation and he takes it super serious and he knows all his shoes you know what I mean it's not just like what's ever trending I'm just going to throw this on because so and so said this was cool he knows the history behind it um, he, he really loves it and he's the true sneaker king of all time in in sports I believe so so yeah. I think it's uh, I'm pretty sure this is true when he got traded to Milwaukee I, I'm pretty sure he just has a house the in Houston, which is just the shoe storage house. Yeah, it's not necessarily it's not a house. It's like the guest, the the back part, right. I believe, of his his main residence there. So his guest room is just for shoes. <laughs> when you got thousands of pairs, you no, got to put them ridiculous. somewhere. Right? And everywhere you go, if there's a shoe stop, a shoe spot, like a shoe store, he's yeah. buying shoes at that shoe store. It's crazy. Like we literally had so much trouble finding size fourteen yeah. anythings because any any plug would just be like, hmm. sorry, Peter's no. been here. PJ swept us. Jesus. Okay. Is there a shoe king at Southeast Melbourne? A fashion king? Um. I mean, we we do have a swaggy bunch. I will say we got a swaggy bunch. Me, Gary, Kizza, Kyle Admin, he he gets it done. Ruben, our young guys got swag too. Grant Junior, Foxy, they all can put that put it on. So. I, I put us up there with anybody in the league as far as drip goes if we're doing that. If we're doing like a league fits, NBA league fits, we'd probably have the top five spots. Let's do it. Um, so you, your team... I'm up there, though. Obviously. I'm definitely up there. Appreciate <laughs> um, you, your team is finally together. You guys look like you're clicking. Uh, you're clearly extremely talented relative to the rest of the league. Um have you guys spoken? We've we've heard a lot of teams go with you know championship or bust sort of mentality. Have you guys spoken openly about the fact that if you guys don't win a title, it is that is a disappointment. Like you have too much talent to not have that as your ultimate like one and only goal. Yeah, like that's everybody wants to win a championship. You don't come here and play unless it's the idea that you have an opportunity to win a championship. And so I think everybody within our locker room within our group believes that we have a team capable of doing that. We don't openly vocalize it. We're not going to sit here on the radio and say, oh, yeah, it's 
it was championship or bust, or we're going to win it. If we don't, then we're all failures, this and that. No way. Every single day, we take on a new challenge as a group. And every single day, we're focused on that day. You know, we can't look ahead too far because that's where you get sidetracked. That's where you lose one you're not supposed to lose. That's where you don't make that cut that you're supposed to make, and it costs you. And so um, I think we have a really good group, a really mature group, that is really focused on our individual moments. And what happens at the end of that, hopefully, is something great. Uh, but uh, I'm just really enjoying the process and the journey of getting to that point. And so I think that we got a group that's really locked in on the journey. Well, the next game, as we probably look to wrap this up, next game against Melbourne, first time you've been a part of, of this matchup. Uh, I'm not sure if Dan is giving me a nod or something. I believe it's, uh, it's a Melbourne home game, a sellout, we think, Dan. He nods. Sell I read out. in the paper it's supposed to be a sellout. Nice. Sunday afternoon, 4 p.m. Obviously, watch that on ESPN. But uh, what's your feel for this rivalry? Have you uh, have you got a sense for it yet? Because I know the game we were at on the weekend, you beat Adelaide in overtime. In terms of atmosphere, that was almost as good as a, a non-throwdown game I've seen for Phoenix. The crowd was uh, unbelievable. Um, yeah, you know, obviously... Uh, they got the bangers, the, the the banners hanging in in, in JCA, and so there's there's a part of all of us on that team there that uh, hasn't gotten a chance to win it. Mm. Um, that wants something like that, you know. We we want to be able to look up there uh, when it's all said and done, and, and and see the results of a of like I said that that great journey that we're on. So really excited to go against Melbourne United. Um, haven't got a chance to play against them at all uh, preseason or now, and so. It'll be a good test of, of, of another really good team in this league and, and to see how we do. So, excited for it. Well, this has been great. Uh, you were our first guest of the season. Our oh, wow. first guest. It's a historic the, day, honestly. In Thank the you. studio. Oh, wow. No one else has been in here. Thanks. So, <laughs> Alan, we appreciate your time. We appreciate your like, candor and being open with us about you know your experiences here. Um, and hopefully we can do this again. This was very enjoyable. I'll look forward to it. Thank you guys for having me. Thanks. Thank you, Big Souls.